Hello and welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in this series, we will be exploring the current job market and work opportunities in Australia for returning Australian expats. I'll be talking to organisations who engage with Aussie expats about where they see the opportunities and the challenges for Australians coming home. If you've just returned, are thinking about it, this series will give you the current lowdown on working and networking back home. My guest today is one of Australia's leading advocates for Australian expats, CEO of Advance.org, Joanna Pittman. Advance.org is the professional network for global Australians. Launched in 2002, it aims to be the bridge for skills and knowledge acquired overseas to be leveraged for Australia's benefit. A former 15-year expat herself, Joanna has led the organisation for the past two years, bearing witness to the impact the pandemic had on accelerating the decision for thousands of Australians to come home. She is in a unique position working with both Australian industry and government and Australia's overseas expat community. So welcome, Joanna. Thank you, Margot. Great to be with you. I am really interested in just sort of setting the scene a little bit before we dive into the interview. Can you share with us a little bit more about Advance and explain how you currently engage with Australian expats in your role? Yeah, absolutely. So Advance, as you mentioned, has been around since 2002 and it was really formed from that idea that professionals and and individuals working overseas We didn't want them to be lost to Australia. And often, and as an ex-former expat myself, I know that you're so busy in the day-to-day overseas that often what's happening in Australia feels very distant. And then you can also start to plan your career, plan your future, and really make that decision not to return to Australia. Advance's role is not to, you know, stop that from happening. We really believe that if you choose to take your career and stay overseas permanently, there's a lot of benefits for the country in that, in that we've got eyes and ears on the ground around the world. We're accessing the latest industry know-how. But what we really want to make sure is that people maintain their connection with Australia. And so that's really the sort of the genesis of Advance in terms of how we do that and what sort of my role involves. It it means that we're looking at programs that keep people connected during that entire international career life cycle. When you're planning to go overseas, when you're overseas and when you're returning and or planning to return, or if you're not planning to return, but you want to have some connections or meet relevant people when you're in Australia on holidays and maintain connections that way. They're the sort of programs that we run and uh, try to keep overseas Australians connected to Australia. Yeah, fantastic. Because I think often it can be all too easy, can't it, to slip into that binary, okay, I'm outside or I'm inside. And actually, we can be connected regardless of where we are. Absolutely. And that particularly when you are in the early stages of your career, the mid stages, wherever you are, you can be incredibly busy with your life wherever it is. And maintaining that connection can seem all too hard. So that's exactly where it comes in. As we mentioned in the intro, you are a former expat yourself with 15 years experience overseas. What is your story? Can you give us a little bit of a background? Yeah, sure. Mine's a bit unusual, I think, a little bit different in that 
I grew up in regional Queensland and I was just dying to get overseas after school. I, you know, I went to a high school where there was no one speaking languages other than English, so I'd never heard foreign languages much, but I was just dying to experience that. So first thing after high school, went straight to Japan, found a way to uh, work in Japan, and then the rest of my degree was as much as possible I spent overseas, exchanges a year at a time, six months at a time, and then ended up doing my master's in the US. So my expat journey really started with study. And then coming out of my master's degree in the US, I'd focused on Asian studies. So I'd lived in Japan, Korea, a little bit of time in China. And then coming out of my master's degree, I just realized it was right at the dot-com boom in the US. And I just knew I had to stay and really experience that. And also was seeing the writing on the wall that if I returned to Australia, I didn't have the credentials or the sort of the normal path. And so I wouldn't have really landed that well if I'd returned to Australia after my master's. So yeah, kept working in the US and ended up in exactly in the field I wanted to be in, in economic development, but working for the UK government in the US and then returned to Australia. And right when it was time to have our first child. And so, and that wasn't planned, but that was sort of the end of the the journey, the expat journey for me, but about 15 years all up sort of across different countries and really starting with that study path. So I certainly came across expats doing it very differently and and the path that they take. But yeah, there there are, and I think that's one of the really important things in this role is to recognise that everyone's path is different. You know, we're even seeing today people who sort of finish, essentially retire in Australia and say, you know what, now's my time that I want to work overseas. So yeah, completely different to what we thought was a traditional path for expats. And you were actually in New York, weren't you, when Advance was born? That's right. So I was doing, I was working in management consulting in Boston and came down for the launch of, at that time it was called Young Australian Professionals in America, uh, YAPA, and came down for the launch of it. And the Consul General in New York at the time had just been through 9-11 and that process of recognising that there were an incredible number of Australians working in New York and and all over the US and uh, we didn't know a lot about them. And so with that in mind, Ken Allen, the then Consul General of in New York, set up Advance and, yeah, being at that launch, it, it feels like I've come full circle now 20 years later being in this role. So you came back to Australia, you had your child and then you worked where? How did, this, how did you come to the path of Advance? Uh, so for me, I, it was... Um, quite helpful for this role. I experienced that usual sort of bias against someone with experience overseas. And I started applying. I knew that I'd worked for trade and investment, UK trade and investment in the US. And so therefore thought, you know, it's a natural path, but really did face that thing that you've you've worked for the UK government, but you haven't worked for Australian government. So I was going for government roles, but I think it it was very instructive in terms of how the flexibility helps to be able to say, no, no, I'll take whatever you can, I'll take a three-month contract and then once you're in, might touch on this a bit later, but I think with Australia no one likes an unknown quantity and so they definitely like to see 
some sort of evidence of either who you know or that you've done something similar and they want to see it with their own eyes before they give you a shot. And so that was certainly my experience. So then working with New South Wales government, I came back in 2007 and I worked on just a a local campaign. It was in a Korean speaking, a lot of Korean speaking people in the district. And so that was a great way to find my feet in Australia. And of course, I had a little baby. So I was sort of, you know, it was a good way to sort of, you know, be around and working on that 2007 campaign was how I kind of found my feet and met a few people before starting to apply for work. And after New South Wales government, I was there quite a while, probably about uh, seven years, and then moved into sort of more not-for-profit organisations that are still around promoting economic development, promoting Australia's prosperity, so Committee for Sydney. And then I ended up with, uh, worked in the startup space for a little while, running an accelerator for uh, smart cities and then ended up with advance. The other important thing about advance to note is that it had always been based overseas and had many staff located around the world. When in 2019, the decision was taken to bring the headquarters back to Australia and that meant um, there was sort of cost-saving reasons for that but it also meant that then the nexus of decision-making was in Australia. That worked very well for sort of when I joined Advance that it was um, that it was local. And it actually is a bigger point around supporting expats is very, it made sense that in the beginning to be based overseas, but it's now more about convincing Australian decision-makers of the value of those expats. So being based in Australia has a real value as well. Yeah, well, it gives you, you're the conduit, aren't you, to then directly into industry and into local enterprise. So it makes complete sense, which is great. Yeah. What is the sentiment that you're currently picking up from expats, you know, either just returned or considering it? And those who are looking for work opportunities, I mean, how easy or difficult are they finding it? You don't hear many stories of like it was easy. I've n- I'm now in a better job getting paid more and everyone loves yeah. the skills I got overseas. I wish we were hearing more of that, but that's mm. not usually the case. I think obviously there's going to be a few particularly expats that are placed overseas with their company that might be headhunted into, an, into a better role in Australia. They've got a benchmark in terms of their salaries and so they do can do well, but it's really not that common. In fact, uh, the the more common experience is that individuals make a decision to return home or they make a soft decision to return home. They say at some point in the next few years I'll return home. They start looking, they try to look early and everyone says the same thing. Well, when you come back, we'll meet with you. That'd be great. It's great to know you're coming home. Too early to say anything now. Let's meet when you get back. Then they get back and a lot of logistics to get through to get back. And then at that point, people, when they meet with employers, they're sort of like, oh, if only we'd known you were coming back. We just hired for a role like this. So then, yeah. <laughs> and, and so still looking for the data and there's lots of opportunities to get better data around this. But we estimate that between six months and 18 months is the average length of time for someone to find an appropriate role when they get back. And in the meantime, 
you only need a few times for people to say, but you don't have Australian experience to really sense or really feel that it's a very parochial employment market and be very frustrated by that and that the lack of insight into that international experience. So certainly see it as a very big logistical journey to return home, but also quite an emotional journey and coming at a time when you're sort of expected more of Australia or you've expected more of employers than to make those remarks. And that six-month to 18-month time frame is definitely something that we see in terms of the work that we do with individuals and their careers. I think, as you say, it's the emotional journey that's attached to that as well. So it, it doesn't run separately, it runs along hand in hand. Do you think COVID has changed these opportunities or challenges? I think the first two years, it made things easier and and more difficult at the same time. On the one hand, the sort of openness to video conferencing and interviewing someone via video, that really helped and allowed people to interview earlier. They're saying, I'm I'm coming home. It's just, you know, when I get a flight and when I can get home, okay, well, you can start before you actually move. So I think there was some flexibility there. What wasn't helpful though, and certainly one of our key recommendations is having coffee, meeting up with individuals and having that or going to a conference or going to events and just sort of getting to know the lay of the land. That was incredibly difficult during COVID. And so For people who did arrive back, they may have arrived back not according to their schedule, not with the same sort of financial sort of underpinnings that they would have liked, and then they couldn't network. I think that made it incredibly difficult. So there was sort of, yeah, there was definitely pros and cons. I think openness to working overseas or working in Australia for an overseas employer is the best thing to come from COVID because I think that was always the big hope and finally now employers are actually just saying, yeah, sure, that's fine, just work wherever you are. Yeah, fast-tracked maybe the thinking and the openness but also the point of engagement, you know, I think that's, that's really interesting as well. What we're hoping obviously is that it's sustained. How would you summarise the role that work plays in an expat's decision to come home? Again, there's a number of different parts. So it depends on where someone is in their life journey as well, um, whether you know, partner, kids, age of their parents at home, how close they are with their family. Sometimes, you know, they might be quite satisfied raising their kids overseas, but they just can't bear the fact that the their kids aren't seeing their cousins on a regular basis. So it's really quite individual in that respect that the family and the personal reasons can weigh very heavily. We also see a lot of people will return home after a divorce. So then it's a whole nother level. The the employment aspect is almost like something that they have to think about, but there's so much else going on. So I think it depends, but I do see the research supports this, that the main reason for returning home is not to find better jobs or to, to... to find a job or to pursue an employment opportunity. That is not the main reason. I think it's about 10% of the time. The reason is the stage of life they're at and those personal reasons will be driving that. It might be for a different work-life balance that they're looking for. But again, it's mostly personal reasons that drive people home. And therefore, the employment process has to fit around that. And I think that's where we're seeing 
we need to share those tips and resources that are helpful for people when they when they're starting to think because we know they've got a lot of other things on their mind. I think it's definitely um, lifestyle that often drives things. I think what often catches people, though, is just how much they underestimate the challenges. So they come home with a preparedness to think, okay, well, I'm not going to have like-for-like transition or those things, but the time it takes to engage with the market and the decision-making process and where you fit and understanding where you fit, I think that complexity can take a little bit longer than people anticipate because for many of us, we landed in another country and we somehow found work, but we were stepping into a bigger employment market, whereas invariably we're stepping into a smaller one when we come back. That's right. And I think our mindset when we go overseas, often that's the comparison. Why was it so easy for me to land and find a job? Whereas when I come back, I think our mindset when we go over, we're very positive. We're very hungry. We're very flexible. We're like, yep, no worries. I'll do, I'll, I'll move wherever. I'm not wed to any neighborhood. I'm not wed to anything. And so when we come back, we've actually got a lot of um, sort of anchors that are, are really kind of settling us in certain places. We want the kids in these schools. We want to be in this suburb. We want to be near family here. Need to be close to my parents. So it sort of, it changes your level of flexibility. And I think also you're a bit exhausted relative <laughs> relative to when you go overseas and you're all bright and fresh. And I think that comes across in those employment discussions. They're not seeing somebody who's willing to do every, anything because you're like, I've done that. I'm experienced. You should be looking for me to really take on an important role now. And do you have such an important role for me? And and you've got salary expectations. So I think it's almost a bit of a misnomer. Why is it so easy to find a job overseas and not when you come back? I think because we change and we're, and we're more experienced. And I think when we go, we often think, oh, look, what's the worst that can happen? And if it, if it all goes, you know, to pot, I'll just go back home. Whereas when we've consciously made the decision to return after many years away, and as you say, invariably we're at a different stage of life, the risk of doing that is so much, of not getting it right, sorry, during that phase is is probably higher. So, yeah, I think it definitely um, has an impact. Do you think the current skills shortage has made it easier for expats to find work back in Australia? I would hope so, but I don't know whether we have um, the skills shortage that we're seeing in Australia. It's across every industry, but the one where it's biting the hardest is probably not what expats are coming home to do. So we're seeing it in hospitality, we're seeing it in all sorts of retail positions. So that's not going to be where typically the expats are coming back into. And I think if someone's been overseas 10 to 20 years, they're going to have quite specialised skills. And in fact, even pre-skills, pre this time and when the skill shortage was not as biting, there was a sense that an expat can bring something you didn't know you needed, whereas a skill shortage is all about an identified need. So you could say that people are being more flexible in their hiring practices as a result of skill shortages, and that's probably true. But at the senior levels, I think they're looking for very specific kind of skills. And I think also 
those that are returning are at a disadvantage to people who are on the ground and are able to sort of understand what exactly the job requires and to do that sort of um, that sort of pre-work before applying for the role. So again, it's not quite the silver bullet that we were looking for that was going to allow expats to find jobs more easily than we, than previously. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the value of what we were talking about earlier around networks and having connection directly into organisations and, you know, professional peers or professional groups. Because for many people who are returning who are working or have worked in a brand that may not be in Australia or is unknown or they don't have, I guess, the advocacy and sponsorship of a professional peer group here in Australia, that can also be seen as a challenge. So if you can be as an expat building those connections from abroad, I think that makes that transition a little softer. (laughs) It doesn't eliminate, but it certainly can help, yeah. I love those terms, advocates. To have an advocate or a sponsor, we, we talk sometimes about mentors, but an advocate or a sponsor is what you need when you're returning into the job market and it's what you have and you don't even realise they're there advocating for you when you've been somewhere a while, but you don't have it when you move to a new location. And that's that's um, that's a really important thing that um, you need to build and, and it's it takes time and, yeah, that's a really important role that you need to cultivate in your circle. So Advance conducts research each year, which probes the experiences Australian expats have re-engaging with the local recruitment market. What are the current thematics that, from your latest research? So we look at this and so, yes, we conduct an annual survey and we look at um, what surprised you about the process and that often reveals some really interesting themes there and also what was the hardest part of your return. Again, that's some things that you sort of don't expect or you don't plan for and that's sometimes things like navigating, setting up all my personal documentation so that I could actually have a Medicare card and all these sort of things. So everyone's different but um, or navigating the property market when you come back. <laughs> I mean, that's you've been out of the market where everyone else has been well and truly familiar with what's happening in the property market. You've just got a really steep learning curve. So there was sort of things that we hope that it's useful to sort of show the range of things that people confront when they come back. And I think probably where we want to go with the survey and each year we try to just add a new series but also really aware of the in-sync survey and, and the sort of work that understanding that journey, what's helpful, try to understand what was the best thing that you did in preparation for your return or what was the clincher for you employment-wise that allowed you to find your role eventually. I think we're using it more as a a source of information to then build the right resources for individuals. So if they say that, you know, I didn't know where to go for the right networks, then we try to build a suite of networks that we recommend are welcoming and appreciate expat experience and therefore they sort of can build support for your journey as you return. 
And they're stepping into a community with a level of understanding then or appreciation. So it's not like you're hustling for your worth, so to speak. (laughs) Exactly. And I think what can't be underestimated is the side remarks that can make you feel quite disillusioned come from family and friends and they come from informal conversations, not employment conversations. And they'll say, you've been away a while. What what are you going to do when you get back? Or you know, you haven't been working for a while. Why don't you, you know, there's a lot of jobs going here. Why don't you work at Bunnings or something? And these sort of throwaway conversations from a, you know, an aunt or an uncle or a cousin that you don't even really respect that much, but it really can play on you. And so I think differentiating and finding that network where people say, wow, you worked for this company that not many other people know of in Australia. They're doing really fantastic stuff in this field you should talk to this Australian company because they're trying to get into that field. And so having that insight from people who come from, as you say, a starting point of respecting that international experience can be really helpful but also good for the soul if you've been to too many barbecues where you're getting sort of unhelpful comments. Yeah, well, we all we all want to feel understood, don't we? You know, and I think that's at the heart of connection is when we connect really strongly when we feel understood. So I think that's really important. So your research released in April this year found that 31% of returned expats are planning to return overseas. And your survey conducted late 2020 also found that 35% of expats who returned were planning to return overseas if they couldn't find a job. What are the factors at play here from your perspective? I think these stats, and if we think about it, so a third of the people who come back, they'll definitely go back overseas if they don't find the right job. I think it means that Australian employers have to work hard to grab these individuals while they're home, not take your time, not sort of be equivocating whether or not they're skills we really need, but really to take a punt on these individuals because the upside is so much uh, better than uh, the potential downside would be you employ them for a couple of months and it doesn't work out and it doesn't make sense. But the upside is that these individuals will stay if they find the right role. I think it shows that returning expats by nature are flexible and uh, they'll move if they don't find the right role. So it's incumbent upon Australian employers if they want to keep this talent here, they need to snap it up, they need to be flexible and they need to embrace that opportunity and find a way to make it work or else they will leave. Yeah, and I think it's that good old curiosity, isn't it? You know, so our recruiting and hiring managers, regardless of what level, is, is you know, being genuinely curious as to what sits behind this experience and how it might complement, you know, the future direction or the future path of the organisation. So in the past, an expat's experience with the local recruitment market has played a very formative role in their early experiences back home. I want to get a little more depth into some of these findings from your research about these experiences. So I'm just going to share some statistics here. So your research report conducted just before the pandemic in 2019 found that 55% of recruiters would preference a local candidate. 40% of recruiters found expats inconvenient to hire. 
The consequences of this was many expats, I think it was about 67%, considered going back overseas and 32% regretted their decision in coming home originally. What is your advice to the expats themselves navigating the recruitment market? Yeah, this this research got a lot of publicity because I think it really cut to the point why it's difficult when you return home. And the initial aspects that we took from this is how we need to change the thinking within employers and recruiters. But we've really changed over the course of the pandemic to say, actually, how do we assist expats to change their narrative, change their approach so that they either don't receive this kind of experience when they arrive or so that they can navigate it better and be better prepared for it. Still wish we could change employers and recruiters and have them embrace overseas experience, but I think it's probably a quicker path. A few things that expats can do themselves. So the first thing is the idea of going to recruiters early in your journey when you come back is something we discourage and we we say unless you're sure that that recruiter is the recruiter for your industry and your level within your industry, just don't go to them first. Go on a listening tour around people in the industry and understand what's happening first because then when you do meet with the recruiters, you can say my experience in this specialised field is particularly relevant to companies like, and then mention a few Australian companies, that are trying to do X. And that way you've, in the same way that you mentioned, Margot, that the the recruiters and the employers and hiring managers should be curious about that, expats need to be well-versed in how their experience relates to the Australian industry situation and which companies might find their skills particularly valuable. So number one is don't go to recruiters first. When you do go to them, make sure that they are the one for your industry. And this is something that we'd love to have a cheat sheet um, that we put together, but it's a pretty complex field, the recruiting industry, and knowing which recruiters to go to for which industries at which level is something that um, certainly if you can ask around before you start will save a lot of wasted time. The third thing is when you do go to recruiters or hiring managers, you need to, and this is this is a really tough one because it's so chicken and egg, but to portray a sense that you've got your house in order. So one of the things that we do hear from a remark that hiring expats is difficult, that they're, it's complicated, it's often because in the course of the conversations you'll say, look, well, I'm not sure where we're going to live. I'm not sure where we're going to put because I'm looking for a job first. I'm not sure where, which schools. And so it gives them the sense that you're a bit of a flight risk. And if you can convey a sense, yep, we're all sorted. We know where we're going to live. I'm just going for this role right now and talking about this role. That can really help them get the sense that you're that you're, you're at least serious about going for this job. Have your stuff in order or if not, at least convey a sense that you've got your stuff in order and that can be important as well. But probably the most important thing throughout the process is to keep having those one-on-one meetings and how you get them 
can be different for everyone, but it might be through your old friends. It might be definitely not through your old friends and it might be through brand new networks. You know, it might be through you join a running club and then in the running club you meet a lot of people and you have these sort of informal conversations and they will offer for you to meet relevant people in your industry. And so people are very generous with that. For me, it was an election campaign. And on that campaign, I met someone who was working in government who gave me all these tips about how you apply for roles in government because it was all a different process to what I was used to. But you never know where you're going to meet the people that give you that really fabulous advice. And that's why it can take time to have those relationships and those new friendships that are key, enabling you to have that listening tour in your industry and really position yourself and be able to explain what you do in terms that are relevant to Australia. Absolutely fantastic pieces of advice. And it's, again, something that I know we talk to quite a bit, you know, the the logistics is just so important to have sorted because it clouds otherwise your ability or your, or the pace at which you can move sometimes, and that's really hard. But I think the new networks is also really critical and having that positioning right. I think sometimes new networks, like they don't remember you for where you were 20 years ago when you last worked with them or where it might be. So if you are engaging, I think, with, you know, original networks or older networks, it's almost like how do I educate these people or this group of people around what it is I've done? How do I share that with real relevance and meaning and gather feedback, I guess? You know, it's just so important. Yeah, there's, it's almost how does your story land? And does your story land with a tinge of, I've done great things overseas and I, you know, Australia's really backwards in this industry. So I probably have to go back a few years. If it has that tone and you might not even intend it to, it's a reality. But if you, if it has that tone, it really puts people off and it won't land well. So trying to find that narrative that, that does work better. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you can see or you garner feedback that sort of might say, look, I think you're going to have some issues around this, or I'd be careful around that. Go into that, lean into that conversation. Don't lean out of it. Because I think those pieces of information are just, can be so insightful. So what other advice would you offer for expats preparing to come home um, and looking for work? Is there any other tidbits that you you have? One that most people might already be doing, but just again, to lean into would be keep your LinkedIn updated. Start liking and commenting on things around Australian industry before you return. If you haven't been super active on LinkedIn for a while, start posting a thing or two about what you're doing. You know, really excited to be at this conference great to hear about the latest in X and let alone if you're speaking, like definitely posting about that so that they can garner more information about you without speaking to you. And if they know that you're someone who's focused on a certain area and they see you commenting on things, they can see that you're engaged and it makes you, again, that less of an unknown entity. Uh, Up-to-date LinkedIn is really important. We know that everybody, uh, most employers would, if not start there, they will certainly check there before they interview someone. 
even if it means sort of getting a little bit of advice or someone professional to keep it updated or make it have a little bit of a review of it, that can be very, very helpful. The other one would be to reach out to your former contacts. And this would be around, and I know a lot of people are overseas so long that their industry has changed, their contacts aren't that relevant. But even if it's an Australian you met at a conference or something, to say, hi, I'm thinking of returning home in a year would be lovely to catch up to hear what you're up to these days and to see, you know, if I can share anything about what I'm seeing in the industry. So you're offering as well as you're asking. And to have those, if you, if you, you know, if they're not even that close contacts, they're just sort of people you might have met once at a conference, probably they'll, they'll agree to speak to you. And it just plants in their mind that there is somebody who is about to return to Australia. And I guess that leads on to the third one, which is we know that for senior roles, they're mostly not advertised. 40% in some industries, 60 70% in others, or even if they are advertised, they're advertised after they've identified the right candidate for the role. So it's not a true advertise open uh, recruitment. It's due diligence process. Yeah. Exactly. So with that in mind, it's all about who you know and who you're speaking to. And I and I I think we feel it's a bit un-Australian if we say it's about who you know and not what you know. But it's actually in a really nice way. And I think this is if you meet someone who's doing something interesting, you will vouch for them even if you've if you've never worked with them. So it's not truly who you know. It's just it it just needs one piece of validation to put that name forward and say, you should consider this person. So it's something that we have to really embrace. And it means meeting someone for coffee, even if they're like a friend of a friend or a contact of a contact, they will vouch for you if they know that you've got something interesting. And it's not vouching for you to get the job, but to get an interview. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's that sponsorship, right? So it's, I think that's why we've got to invest in our own community or our own personal board of advisors or, or however we put it together. But because we do need that, you know, I don't think we're meant to do it on our own. It's too hard and lonely on our own. So <laughs> it's, um, you know, if we can build those champions, it's certainly, um, certainly easier. Is there any other advice that you would offer Australian employers facing a skills shortage and seeking an Australian with international experience? I would love to see Australian employers observe who's overseas in their industry that would be great hires down the track. And I've seen this done, particularly in the startup community. They say so-and-so has gone overseas, um, they're, in, they're in the Bay Area, but when she's ready to come home, we're going to be the first one that asks her to work with us. You know, and, and invariably something happens and they're like, I need to come home. I, I wasn't planning to. But someone who's been watching them, it gives them a real leg up in that sort of race for that great talent. So observing who's overseas and certainly through organisations like ours, like InSync, like Advance, certainly hope that they can introduce. That's where you get to know the expats that are overseas and then follow them and watch what they're doing. And, and it's very easy to follow them on LinkedIn. And when you see that they're starting to re look to return home, then you can approach them early. There's no reason why they should have to 
if they're a specialist in their field, why they should have to reach out or wait till they get home for you to have that conversation. Identify it early and certainly something that we're trying to do is trying to get people to self-identify that they're starting to think about coming home and we hope that that will be very valuable both for the individual but also for employers to start start identifying talent that they might want to bring on board. Yeah, and I think for industry sectors at large, right, definitely helps. I think many organisations do do market mapping, you know, so it's almost saying, well, don't forget to market map for those who are overseas as well, like just sort of spread the borders so that you do know. Mm. And what do you think the Australian public and private sector could be doing more of to tap into the network of Australians working overseas and wanting to come home? One thing that I'd love public and private sector to look at would be to look at the Global Australian Awards and the people we identify each year who are doing incredible stuff overseas. So um, you can see this if you search for advance awards. You can see each year by now we've um, identified about 140 individuals that are doing really incredible things overseas across a range of industries. Now what these individuals represent is sort of the best of Australia overseas that are usually incredibly creative in their careers and they've done they've taken chances they've been bold they've you know worked really hard but what it tells you is that there are a whole lot more people doing similar things maybe who are earlier in their career and I think that would be one thing I think more generally and certainly why we want to have um, the advance awards have and those global Australian awards to have a higher profile is because we think that this tells a story about the depth of talent overseas and really puts a face to those to that thought and, and really shows the stories behind those individuals. We also think it's really inspiring for the next generation. We've got a generation who's just gone through two years of COVID, maybe during their university years or when they would have otherwise planned to travel. And they might have sort of said, you know what, working in Australia is probably easier. I don't think I need to build my career overseas. I don't need to go overseas now. Well, we really want to turn that around and say, when you can, this is why, and look at the sort of things that these individuals have done and and how much their career has grown as a result of that overseas experience. So that would be my big call to action sort of for the more broad public would be to look at those advance awards and see those uh, awardees. We call them the game changers, but there's a, the list is there and really demonstrates what is possible when people build their career overseas. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, Joanna, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I do want to congratulate the work that you do at Advance. I think the spotlight that you're shining on individuals and the talent more broadly and the commitment to trying to bridge that gap throughout the whole ecosystem of an individual's career is really something to be commended. So thank you very much. Thank you, Margot, and and great to be speaking with you and the podcast just to share the stories of individuals who have done it. It's really incredibly valuable. Wonderful. Thank you. Advance.org is a distribution partner of our inaugural Australian Expat Career Survey 2022. If you're an Aussie expat still overseas or returned in the last three years, we would love to hear your views. Go to Australian Expat Career Survey 2022.com 
or follow the link on the InSync website. All participants will receive first access to the survey report, plus the opportunity to join a complimentary career repatriation workshop and networking event with other returning Australian expats. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes.